Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Doing well, Alex. Good to be here for this uh, momentous occasion and to uh, reflect on, uh, you know, a very interesting week in, in city life, but uh, ultimately to remember five years of uh, podcast history. So it's a, it's a good time to, to be involved. Yeah, five years it is. Um, as we sort of mentioned on last week's episode, it was almost just by chance that I was um, looking back at some of the old episodes and, and realised that it was actually the uh, the five year anniversary coming up. So uh, we thought we'd we thought we'd do do something a bit special. We will talk about the uh, the games from the last week, but we might not go into to too much detail. There's not a whole lot of positive detail to go into on those on those two games. Um, and then we'll try and cast our minds back on some more positive memories of the last five years um, supporting City and recording podcast episodes. Um, but yeah, we'll, look, we'll start with we'll start with uh, the weekend's games uh, for City, um, starting with that uh, game against Burden Albion on the weekend, um, a side that we'd never lost to prior to Saturday, but unfortunately uh, the same can't be said at this stage. Um, going down one 0 to that very very late goal. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, what, what stands out for you in this game? I guess for me, it's it's just the same frustrations about uh, failing to take out chances. Not even having a shot on target was particularly disappointing as well. But, but, but what did you make of it? Yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, the, a few weeks before, uh, we, we chatted on this podcast as well about uh, it almost feels like City have this inability to score, um, despite the fact that the statistics don't actually reflect that at all. Uh, which which may actually lend itself to kind of uh, reassure us of the quality that is in the in the city ranks as far as uh, chances created and just the ability to kind of play teams off the park. Um, the fact that it, it reflects that we are finishing our chances and, and winning games, but at the same time, uh, the frustration as as fans is we still kind of uh, are hungry for more and expect more. Uh, and I think that you know, as for a team that is currently placed second to be uh, travelling away and, and going down to the to the bottom side, I think it was a Burton's uh, fourth loss, uh, fourth win of the season, rather, mm. uh, to to a team who you know we we really should be beating and uh, and it should have been very confident about. But I guess I alluded to it. It was it was my concern out of the two fixtures uh, last week as well that uh, Burton worried me more than Lincoln did and. I was kind of optimistically hoping for a, a late uh, winner against uh, Lincoln purely for my own uh, ego and betting tip. But, um, you know, the fact that that didn't come and, and we took the single point, uh, you know, it was, was kind of what I expected. But this Burton game was incredibly disappointing. And to lose to that team is one thing, but to lose in the in the fashion we did, um, yeah, look, it, it is concerning. Um, and I think it was just the one change from the uh, the previous match with Smallwood coming back into the side. Um, we'd, we'd sort of talked last week about uh, Reese Burke's form. I think he was uh, potentially sort of at fault for the football for the goal in the uh, the trophy game against Lincoln last week, um, and then you know certainly at fault or, or involved with the goal that Burton scored on the weekend. Um, is it so? I guess with Alfie Jones out injured, is it sort of concerning to you the form that he's showing and, and the fact that I guess there's not really an, an immediate replacement that we can throw in if needed? 
Uh, not at all. I, I don't think it's you know we need to be too trigger happy on that. I think we've we've touched on it before of the the quality of Reese Burke and and all defenders go through a slump. I think we've only got to look at the results around us to see that uh, we're not like other teams aren't immune to kind of faultless defensive errors. And the fact that they come in in succession or have come in succession for Reese Burke, uh, whilst yeah it it might be to an extent of a concern, but realistically on the on the law of averages would suggest that um you know that a player of race Cal- uh, race burke's caliber is one that will be able to, to fix this uh you know slight form slump uh that, that he's in so uh, i mean if anything it probably is a healthy uh position to be in knowing that uh when alfie jones does return if if race burke's form is uh you know not up to the standard that we're expecting well it will be a straight swap and, and alfie jones will probably walk straight back into that side so uh, yeah, it doesn't concern me too much just yet. I think it's it's still early early doors, but I think Reese Burke himself personally would be, uh, you know, incredibly aware of of the job that he needs to do, and um, you know, certainly uh, an improvement in form would would be heading in the right direction if he wants to keep his spot. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, McGann just had his press conference just before we said that Jones is maybe a couple of days away, you know, five, ten days away. So sounds as if um, this game on the weekend against MK Dons comes too soon for that. But as you say, a game or two further down the track, if if Burke's form is still quite poor, it gives that opportunity for Jones to come back into the side. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other one that I saw a few people taking to social media to, to uh, I don't know, criticise or, or scapegoat, uh, Callum Elder was a bit of a surprising one because... As we've said before on the podcast, I've actually thought that he's one of the more consistent performers in the side lately and uh, over the season, really. Um, and, and I saw a stat that I think across all four divisions, or it might just be in the Football League, that he can dribble past the least of any defender in, in, in any team, which is an incredible stat. It's the sort of stat that, you know, a few years ago, Virgil van Dijk, there was the stat that he hadn't been dribbled past by anyone. Um, and it's sort of, you know, to, to have... I think it's six six dribbles past him over the entire seasons. Um, quite remarkable, and shows that he's quite a competent and and solid defender um, first and foremost. And and of course he's chipping in with assists. He's got his set pieces as well. Um, what, what do you make of that criticism? And, and do you think it is just a case of of sort of looking for a scapegoat? I think it probably is a case of looking for a, a scapegoat. But if we're really honest with ourselves, I think that uh, you know there, there are so many. Uh, games that come thick and fast in league one and and what we're talking about here is is the fans kind of hunger and particularly it's probably um exaggerated because of the position we find ourselves in the league certainly challenging for promotion and i think that because uh you know the fixtures being as frequent as they are uh, having an off day or you know not backing up and playing as well after back-to-backs and 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 having a heavy schedule uh, we, we have to expect that all players at different stages will will have their games where you know they may not be performing to the to the level that, that they would like to be. And you know we we talk about the the other side of of our flakes with uh, Emmanuel and then Louis Coyle. And you know Emmanuel's have to buy, had to bide his time before he can get back into the squad. And, and Callum Elder hasn't really seen this, the same amount of coverage, so he, he probably has tired legs, particularly for a, a fullback of his caliber, who we do expect a lot from with with getting forward and. I mean, uh, if you think of probably City's other most criticised player, you'd probably say that Tom Eaves is is in that conversation. And you know, if you look at Tom Eaves on the on the stat sheet, although we seem to be uber critical of him, and and I know we certainly have been here uh, as well at times, 
it it does become a really you know difficult uh, conversation and a slippery slope if as as fans we're always on the backs of these players across the spread of you know in in elder's case almost 50 plus games across the season so every every player whilst it's not you know encouraged is is entitled to to many form slumps and um, you know, and for someone who's been performing at the ability or level that Callum Elder has this season, I think it's incredibly harsh to to be jumping on his back on after one poor performance. Um, yeah, for no, that, that that's more than fair enough. Um, and then I guess I guess the main source of criticism as well has been been McCann. Um, and it's funny, like we sort of look at this every week, and it depending on if we're coming off a win or two, um, everyone we sort of. Uh, it, it, it's, it's sort of that situation where um, every success is testament to the team. Every failure is testament to McCann in, in a way that, you know, all the failures are his fault, but he doesn't get any praise when everything's going well, um, which, which, you know, it, it probably makes the, the the lack of praise, you know, sort of undeserved and, and, and the, the amount of um, blame that he gets also undeserved. And it's probably somewhere in the middle uh, in terms of what's his responsibility for the side. Um, I guess the main... The main talking point about McCann this week, though, which which was concerning for me, and then I sort of highlighted in a tweet afterwards, was he, he was asked after the match about Wilkes's performance and um, made a comment along the lines of, you know, well, you know, Malik's going through a few personal issues, but they're not impacting on his form on the pitch. Um, and the question would sort of seem to be, well, if they're not actually causing any form slump or if they're not actually the cause of any sort of issues on the pitch, is it really right for for Grant to be bringing that up in in the media? And it it sort of it, it reminds me of his man management of Keen Lewis Potter with the um, the contract situation and making that public. And it, it's sort of a bit concerning that I don't know whether it's um, um, just a genuine um, inability to handle these situations in a better manner, whether it's sort of trying to deflect some of the attention off his own shortcomings onto some of the players. I, I'm not too sure, but. Did you make anything of, of those comments or, or how did you see it? Graham McCann is, a, is an interesting case for, I think, all of all of the City faithful. And if you, if you take a, a short trip down memory lane and, and go on a historical journey of, of managers in, in, in charge of City, it, it always seems to be the charismatic ones that have a bit of uh, personality and, and dialogue with the fans that uh, we seem to attach ourselves to. I, I know that, um, you know, there was the... Uh, you know, Steve Bruce, give us a wave. Uh, and there was the, the chant about, you know, bring your vodka and your Charlie because Bruce was having a party. You've got, you know, the circus that arrived when Marco Silva joined and and you saw the excitement that the fans had, even back to the Phil Brown days. The, the players really, um, you know, it, it almost sent, uh, seemed like when there was talk about uh, Brownie being sacked or, or being laid off because of poor results, uh, the players would go out and, and find that extra result to kind of, just keep him tinkering on the edge of safety, and I guess with with all of those things considered, even even someone like uh, your Leonard Slutskis as well came in and perhaps didn't have the best results, but certainly did himself to the fans by you know going to the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we might have. Lost Logan there for a second. It looks like the internet connection might be playing up a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah. Look, as Logan's saying, I think it's certainly an interesting case with uh, Grant McCann. I don't think he's quite got the fans on board as much as some of these other managers may have in the past. Um, 
I'm just going to, I'll drop Logan out for a second and see if when he comes back in, his uh, his internet connection might have improved itself. Um, yeah, look, I think I think it's an interesting case with, with Grant McCann um, and the way that he's handled a couple of the players' slump, form slumps over the last few weeks and, and over this season itself. Um, I think there's certainly a healthy amount of deflection that's going on. I think McCann's certainly feeling the pressure of uh, of these sort of failures to get results over the last few weeks. Um, oh, we've got Logan back. Let's see if this works now. Logan, have we got you? I'm back. You're back. Excellent. As you were saying, sorry, I cut you off uh, or, or no, the internet I'm, cut you I'm off not for that. Sure. I'm not sure where I got up to on that. that, that uh, tangent. Uh, uh, McCann, McCann, presumably not being as charismatic as, as these other managers, and, and not having the players on side. Yeah, certainly. And so I guess the, the conversation that now you kind of have to start to ask, and I think it's probably highlighted by his comments in the media about Malik Wilkes and his personal problems on the back of the Kane Lewis Potter situation earlier in the season. And with those two events together, he just uh, what the players think of Grant McCann is not really known to I guess the, to the fans. It, it, there doesn't seem to be a, a genuine connection, but that's not to say that it's not there. Um, what happens behind yeah. the scenes? They, they could still be playing for McCann, and he might be a very different uh, you know manager to them behind the scenes. But certainly the uh, portrayal of Grant McCann in the media and and his own personality and engagement with the fans leaves a lot to the imagination and um you know and that can be difficult particularly i guess in these times where fans aren't allowed into the ground and there there is a genuine disconnect and it's not it's not through any fault of of anyone in particular but grant mccann certainly hasn't um you know done anything exciting to to endear himself to the fans and get that real stable connection so anything that i guess does come out in the media from Grant McCann is, is highly scrutinised and, you know, in some ways rightfully so, but at the same time we still have to go back to the big picture and remember that running a, uh, running a football club under the, you know, the guise of, of the Allens is, is an unknown quantity and what he's been told and what he's expected to say uh, is, is very interesting because we've seen Steve Bruce leave, we've seen Marco Silva leave and we've seen uh, Nigel Atkins leave. Um, you know, in, in recent times and, and voluntarily, me, which is very, very rare with football managers. And, and I think that that speaks volume. So before, before I want to, you know, cast the stone at Grant McCann, I think he's, he's doing a decent job. There's, there's de- definitely aspects about him that I don't like. Um, and, and, and the way that he has kind of, you know, communicated his feelings on players uh, to the media is certainly not one of the things that, you know, I, I, I would be, you know, proud of him for. But at the same time, what's actually going on is still is still really hard for us to, to figure out exactly. So I'm just a little bit reserved on, on the issue so far. And look, and I think it's a great point as well about the um, the empty stadiums. I, I do wonder a little bit if um, if there was fans in the stadiums, if there was going to be a bit more of a reaction to uh, the form sums that we've gone on. Um, uh, you know, the back end of last season, I think he would have felt a lot more pressure with fans in the stadium voicing their displeasure about tactics and so on. Um, and certainly, you look, maybe this season, uh, the fans would have turned around and really attached themselves to him given the, the, the way we started this season. But look, as Ryan says in, in the chat, um, it, I do think that there's going to be a problem for a lot of people with him that people just see him as Ahab's puppet in the sense, I guess, that he's he's been a yes man for the Alums when players like Lewis Potter have, have had clauses in their contract that will be activated if he plays one more game he doesn't play the player um you know um 
looking at last season with the way that Bowen and Grzycki left and he was left with a very poor squad when um, Irvine and um, Lehigh were released from their contracts and he basically said uh, he supported the decision. Um, things like that are just not going to get the fans on side, I think, for him. And um, suffering the relegation in the way that we did, I think irreparably has damaged his reputation with the fans. Um, I think he gets those little reprieves when we go on those good runs of form. But I think ultimately... Um, he, uh, you know, early in the season, we asked sort of we asked Mike or had the conversation with Mike about what it would take for the fans to be on his side. You, you'd almost have to have him winning um, winning the FA Cup or, or the Premier League even for the fans to to begrudgingly give him some credit. But um, I think he's it's one of those situations where I think it's just it's just it can't end happily between McCann and the club at this stage. And, and Alex, let's not forget the interview as well with Burnsy after the game when he was questioned. Mm relegation and I think to the fans have a right to be upset and, and that became quite heated um, and just the I guess the manner in the way he responded and when you look at incidences like that it's bizarre to have a, you know a, a city manager questioning the you know the city representative at the time in, in Bertie um, in, in the way that he did and certainly um, you know letting his emotion oh, the uh Internet doesn't seem to be uh, <laughs> Logan's friend tonight. Um, it seems to keep cutting out. I'll uh, I'll just uh, do the old trick. I'll, I'll drop him out and see if he'll come back in uh, with the connection on. But look, you know, when, when Logan does join the the discussion again, we'll give our three, two, one votes for the Burton game, which probably is almost the trickiest of this season, um, given the fact that uh, it was such a disappointing performance overall. Um, and then we'll move on to talk about the Lincoln game. We've got Logan back now. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's a little bit muggy tonight. Maybe the internet's just not reacting well with the heat. But I was just saying we'll do the um, the three to one votes for for this game, and we'll move on because probably a tricky best best uh, best three votes to give out for this one. But look, I, I gave it a shot. I went with um, Crowley for my three just because I thought he was again quite a cr- creative, bright spark up forward for us, um, despite the fact that we weren't able to manage a shot on target. Um, I've gone elder for the two, perhaps maybe a little bit sympathetically given the um, the backlash online, but thought he had a a, a solid and 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 you know uh, reasonable game for us in defence um, as much as you can when you when you concede a goal. Um, and then I've gone Doherty for the one. I just kind of cast a net over that middle three. Um, I don't think Honeyman was particularly poor. I don't think Smallwood was particularly poor, but. Um, I went with Doherty for the for the one vote um, in that sense. But but any 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 other thoughts from yourself? No, I'm not going to fight you on any of those. I think yeah. that they're a pretty fair assessment. It'd be very hard to give you know any points to to those in the forward line, considering it was a a very lackluster performance. And obviously, you probably need to rule Reese Burke out uh, due to his you know role in in the goal. But anyone outside of that would probably you know qualify for. Three, two, one points that they they probably wouldn't want to receive themselves, given the you know the outcome of the fixture. Definitely. Um, look, you know, we we talked last week about the uh, the potential for Ingram to come back into the side and whether McCann would just sort of look for an excuse to do so. And certainly, it seems that that's happened uh, for the Lincoln game midweek. Uh, Ingram came back into the side. Um, Magennis came in um, for Smallwood with Crowley dropping into midfield. Uh, and then interestingly, we had Emmanuel starting essentially up forward, I believe, uh, on the wing, although there was some debate about whether it was Crowley on the wing and Emmanuel in midfield. But um, Emmanuel came in for Wilkes, which uh, was, you know, we, we've seen that sort of trialed late in a game previous to this. So um, not entirely foreign for Emmanuel, but uh, certainly an interesting move for him there. Um, almost scored uh, 
straight from kickoff virtually with Lewis Potter getting that chance inside the first minute. Um, but again, no shots on target for the game. Um, you know, look, we, we sort of, we, we looked promising throughout the game, but uh, ultimately couldn't break them down. They had a few decent chances themselves. Um, and, and perhaps nil-nil was a fair result in the end. Oh, we've lost Logan again. The internet's really, really taking a hammering tonight, but we'll, uh, we'll get through it in, uh, well, it's all right. We'll, we'll get through it in little in little segments. It's all right. I was uh, I was just um, um, discussing the the, the 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 game itself, but I, I guess ultimately um, a points perhaps a fair result against Lincoln. And you know, as frustrating as it is, at least fortunately Doncaster went down to Fleetwood, so um, we 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 didn't get damaged too much by that. We're still in the uh, automatic spots, um, and we move on to the next fixture. Yeah, that Fleetwood result was was huge. I think that just there's something mentally about dropping outside of the automatic spots, given the you know the form run that we've been on. If if it had have been falling into the three, fourth, fifth uh, position, uh, I think it just changes the the mentality, certainly of the of the fans and uh, you know, and, and I guess the the manner in which the the players approach the games. Uh, there is you know something about the the safety of of one and two that we're all obviously targeting and. I think given the the start of the season, it would be a, a travesty to to you know fall out of those spots, even though there is an incredibly long way to go. So, whilst uh, we mentioned before that Doncaster have those those games in hand and are still very much a threat, um, I think if we you know to look at the even the goal scored, uh, Donny R uh, leading with with Pompey, I think is the the two high scoring teams, and then um, interestingly we are the third uh, top team, but we're tied with with multiple teams and. When I was looking through the uh, the the stat sheet and uh, and the the notes before the game, uh, seeing that Rochdale uh, languishing way down the the league uh, ladder have also scored uh, forty one goals, wow. uh, like goals, and and are tied with uh, Oxford, Charlton, and and Rochdale as mentioned. So, uh, you know, a really interesting uh, predicament to to kind of be talking about all our, our lack of goal scoring opportunities or yeah. chances, in rather. Um, you know, and and interestingly, Lincoln are the the best defensive team in the in the league, only having conceded twenty. So, I, I guess one could argue that to to go in a, a goalless draw against the the best defensive team in the league, uh, you know, is not the end of the world. Yeah, certainly. I think um, I think our promotion won't be won or lost in that in that sort of game against Lincoln. I think um, holding them to the draw is a reasonable result. I think um, obviously the draw is better for them. It kind of keeps them. Um, at arm's length from us, which is a little bit frustrating. But uh, look, we'll talk in a second about um, the last five years. And uh, I sort of uh, remarked during the week, I had to listen back to that very first episode of the podcast. And uh, the fact that in that episode, we were talking about how great our squad was in the championship and how deep our squad was in the championship. And I think at that point, we were coming second behind Burnley, I believe, saying how we were easily, the, the, the you know, sort of the one and two best sides in the division. And of course, ultimately that season we did drop into the playoffs. And you know, granted, we did go up via the playoffs, um, but it did so, it did sort of give me um, a few a few sort of um, flashbacks to to the way this season's been going and the way we've been talking this season on the podcast. And I can't help but feel that ultimately this season could be quite similar to that one. And I just have to hope it's the uh, same result in the end, and we do go up via the playoffs if if that's the case. But it does feel as if. There's this great opportunity that, you know, as you were saying last week, we were, uh, before Christmas, we were, um, you know, sort of a game clear at the top of the table with games in hand and we've sort of squandered that lead. And 
we just have to hope that we can sort of get that position back. Absolutely. But again, we, we still seem to be banging the same drum five years later, if you like, in, in the sense that we, we, we do recognise the strength of our squad and, and the mm. entirety of that squad. And as you mentioned, you know, there's been a couple of injuries and we've, we've already touched on Alfie Jones and, and Tom Eaves is out injured, although, you know, many people would argue that he's not fit for the, the starting squad as is. But it really does kind of, you know, shed resemblance to to those early or early podcast days in, in the championship where we do have an incredible squad. And, you know, let's let's hope that at the end of this season we are talking about, uh, you know, the, the depth of our squad getting us through and whether we do go up in the playoffs or, uh, you know, through automatic promotion, I don't think it would be, um, you know, uh, we'll be arguing either way. But obviously the preference for, for the automatic spots, um, you know, is, is certainly there. And, and as you mentioned, we've had chances to break away and, and be the clear clear favourite and, and lost some really disappointing games against teams languishing down the bottom, as we mentioned with Burton. Uh, we had that horrible result against Pompey where we scored two goals for them. Uh and it's it's things like that that you know we we don't want to be sitting back at the end of the season ruining those those missed opportunities. Although uh, you know, in in so many ways we've we've come to expect that that City will never do things the easy way. Absolutely, it's always going to be the more tricky way. You know, as soon as it looks like it's um, starting to go well for us, there's always a slip up the, um, around the corner to to keep us honest and keep us uh, focused. But look, you know, um, not a whole lot more to say about this game. I think. Yeah, other than um, I guess the pitch, it, it was probably the most snow that I've seen on the pitch in a fair while. It was uh, interesting conditions, and um, Cliff Byrne, the the assistant manager, was still there in his shorts. He's uh, very much immune to the to the conditions, which was uh, quite funny to see. Um, mm. But yeah, look, it would have been a, a brutal game to play for a nil nil result. Um, I know mm. as a player, it would have been pretty frustrating to to get through that ninety minutes and uh, not have more to show for it. I guess. Oh, certainly, and you know. On the spread, we're always going to be a little bit biased in our in our reflections, given the you know the city city lens we watch the games through. But uh, we absolutely dominated that game for for large patches, and, and particularly towards the end. Even though you know it was end to end, so to speak, the the chances for us to score looked like they were going to be you know far more clear cut. And I know Ken Lewis Potter had some some horrible finishing uh, attempts in the particularly in that first half, but. It, it really was like a, we look at the the game and say it was a, a nil or draw and it's a, it's a frustrating result, but really it was a, it was a game that, that was there for the taking and we, we we absolutely should have taken three points and you know if if that's the team that's above us, uh, you know all power to us. I think that that's a, an encouraging sign for the run in. Definitely, definitely, and look um, again a really tough one to give the uh, three to one votes for. I've gone. Maybe maybe starting to show a little bit of bias here, but I'm going Crowley again for the three. Um, again, think he was probably the most creative player on the pitch from the start. Um, I've gone for I've gone for Emmanuel for the two. I think just 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 interesting seeing him in a new role, seeing him back in the eleven, um, and, and the efforts that he put in, I thought was worthwhile. Um, and then I've gone Wilkes for the one. I thought he looked really sharp coming off the bench. Um, I sort of I tweeted out after the game that it, it's concerning that he and uh, Ken Lewis Potter are, are not in great form at the moment. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm more meaning in terms of actually goal-scoring form. Um, I thought Wilkes... I mean, I, I think both Keen Lewis Potter and Wilkes showed um, a lot of energy and hunger in this game, but um, just not able to find that finishing product. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, I went pretty similar. The, the, uh, like you, the, uh, seeing Emmanuel back in the starting 11 was, was great to see. And I just... You know, we've we chatted at length about this before. How he was the most unlucky right back in in England. Mm. The fact that he wasn't 
wasn't starting and just to see him come in, come back in and you know provide the the energy that he always does in that in that new role I thought was was fantastic and I so I would have probably you know gone him or, or Crowley for the three as well thought Crowley's um he has just been a, an excellent signing in his in his short time at, at the club and um we're really looking forward to see the the impact that he has on on the rest of the the season or the run in um and yeah look I won't argue with Wilkes as one either I'm not in the in the means to uh, to disagree with you tonight, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Fair enough. Well, look, we'll 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 preview the uh, the MK Dons and Wigan games in a second. But as it is our five year anniversary, I thought we'd take the chance to have a look back at some of the uh, the fonder memories that we've had over the five years of the podcast. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, I, I looked back and uh, had a listen to the very first episode during the week. And um, look, it's it's interesting listening to an episode and you know hearing the names of. David Myler having just signed a new contract, uh, talking about whether Curtis Davies and El Mohamedy will be around next season, um, talking about, you know, uh, Mitch, Mitch very famously sort of saying that Harry Maguire would be definitely going on to bigger and better things, getting signed by a bigger club, talking about the passes that he was pinging across to Andy Robertson, and you're getting these flashbacks to all these wonderful names that we had in the side at the time. Um, and, of course, that season sort of ending quite famously or quite quite brilliantly with... I mean, first of all, that away win at Derby in the playoff semi-final, um, and then and then uh, Sheffield Wednesday at Wembley—both tremendous results that season in the playoffs. Yeah, there's, there's been some incredible times, and I mean, for for me, as uh, as I look through the run sheet again and and reflected, uh, there's so many things that that get packed into those season. I think the story of of City as a club, particularly when we are you know a, a, a yo-yo club, so to speak, and we've you know familiarized ourselves with with three divisions in in the last five years mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a huge uh you know responsibility to kind of rebuild and um and, and you know and make great signings as you go up the leagues and also to kind of st- remain competitive as your your budget changes and i think that all adds to the to the you know the storyline and the the glitz and glamour i mean the the memory for me was just when marco silva took over as manager um and yeah, as you mentioned, that the opening Leicester game where there was the the double bicycle to begin the season, and you know we then won away at Swansea, and just for I, I don't think we even filled the filled the bench potentially on the on the first game. To think of 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 those moments and just going, you know what what a ride it is to to be a City fan. And and then when Marco Silva came in, my my one criticism of Steve Bruce, although I think the club owes him a lot for the way that he kind of set us up and the. As as you mentioned, and, and Mitch, you know, rightfully predicted early on the the quality of, of some of those young players that, that he brought through. But when Marco Silva arrived and he had that attitude of we could beat anybody and we shouldn't be going to you know the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea and, and playing negative football, I thought that was just such a breath a breath. Well, what am I trying to say? I'm getting all tongue tied. Uh, a breath of fresh air, and um, yeah, you know, we would score a goal and you would see like twenty assistant managers jumping, you know. <laughs> over the turnstiles to be a part of the celebrations and and it was just a you know it, it was so indicative of of a club that was together and I remember uh, losing that game to Sunderland uh, 2-0 when we really should have beaten them because they were they were languishing as well and just thinking I'm going to be really disappointed to to not see this team play uh, it was yeah. nice to see players like Lazar Markovic come back and Sam Klukas scoring wonder goals and, and players like Omar Nias that were out of favourite for other clubs that you know came on loan from Everton and and did a, an insane job for us, and uh, it was just—it was such an interesting time as a city fan to to have all these new signings come in, 
and to just be right behind them and and just get the excitement of um you know of, of a club that that really wanted to stay in in the premier league and you know yeah. we know how that story unfolded it was just it was unbelievable football and yeah I look at that season and, and, and to a lesser extent, the 2015, 16, or 2014, 15 season, but I guess looking just in the frame of the podcast, that, that, that Marco Silva season. And I sort of compare it to the Aston Villa season of last year where they really struggled and they just stayed up by the skin of their teeth. And now they're absolutely flying because they've got Jack Grealish on a new contract. They've got a whole bunch of fantastic players, um, all pulling in the same direction. And I, I look at that season with, with the Harry Maguire, with the Andy Robertson, as you say, with Markovic, with uh, Nias, all those sorts of players who were fantastic players for us that season. And you just knew, you just had that sense that when relegation came, that they would be leaving. And you saw that potential in Maguire and Robertson and others and just knew that it would be such a, such a missed opportunity if we were to go down, as ultimately happened, that we wouldn't get to see that team sticking together and um, seeing what could come out that following season. So... Yeah, you know, really sort of tinged with sadness that 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 was how that season panned out. Um, I guess sort of the silver lining to it was we did get to see, um, you know, a certain Jared Bowen starting in the side against Spurs and, yes, ultimately a 7-1 defeat, but, um, you know, sort of getting his first taste of a Premier League start and uh, what a career he then had for us over the following three seasons in the Championship. And um, I think it was on the podcast, uh, one of the first episodes, we were talking about... Um, Hernandez and, and his goal scoring form and how we hadn't had a 20 goal a season striker or, or forward in in so long um and then and then Jared Bowen became that player for us and almost, I mean essentially single-handedly kept us in the championship for those couple of seasons um and and you know yes we're sort of starting to see the emergence of a few other players like that in in the form of Keen Lewis Potter and a few others but um Jared Bowen was just you know an outstanding talent to have in the side Absolutely. And I, I, it's one of the things that frustrates me on social media these days with, you know, players that particularly in the in the city Facebook groups, when someone will put up a comment about one of our, our old, you know, old favorite sons that have that have left and gone on to, you know, technically bigger things. And and it really it really saddens me because there is a connection. So like someone like Jared Bowen, when when the club was really struggling. He took that approach of you know of, of rolling his socks up and and just really really dug in and and was able to you know essentially score the goals mostly in most part him and Camille Grzycki obviously that that kept us alive in the championship and you know in a time when we we really needed players like them to stand up that could have easily you know he he probably knew within himself that that he would have got signed by a bigger club but the fight that he showed for for City and yeah as you mentioned the quality that he brought. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of joy out of watching him be successful at West Ham and in, in no way, shape or form am I connected to West Ham or, or like them. But to see Jared Bowen succeed for them is, is a great testament to, you know, the the roots and the I guess the, the the foundation that City provided for him. And equally with, you know, Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson as well, the the heights that they've reached, it's, it's fantastic to see and a great part of our story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um um, it's great to see. It's great. It's great to see those those former players um, still, in in a way, representing City in the Premier League. And you look at um, West Brom the other week against um, Wolves. They had, you know, they had Snodgrass, Jake Livermore, uh, Grzycki, uh all in the starting eleven. Obviously, Connor yeah. Townsend, I think, is in their squad as well. So they've got a couple of um, ex City players in their ranks as well. And you know, it's great to see those players still represented. Um, 
it was interesting. I was watching the uh, the Leeds Crystal Palace game the other morning in in the Premier League, and they were talking about how Leeds had been knocked out of both cups at the first hurdle, um, and sort of made a reference to City in that. And it's it's nice to still you know still have that sort of tangible connection to to the Premier League, even if we're not there at the moment. But um, you know we're, we're kind of gone, but not forgotten, which is which is nice. Absolutely, and I think that, that the photo of Andy Robertson and Harry Maguire holding up their scarves on the the day that they signed for you know a, an, an incredibly low fee to see that you know Harry Maguire you know for one stage I think was the most expensive you know centre back in the in the world and um and you know we all know what's happened with Andy Robertson he's he's highly regarded as the best left back you know it, it, certainly in Europe um, if not the world himself and so. You know, to see those players go on and kick to those heights coming from, you know, lowly Hull City, like it's just an incredible, incredible part of our story. And it's just, a, you know, it, it puts us on the map in so many ways. And it's great to see. That photo gets shared so often and it's always a case of, oh, did you know that they both played together at City? And it's like, yes, indeed, I did know that. But yeah, it's usually so- used. It's usually used in jest to, uh, to slander and just uh, taunt the, the City fans for the yeah. players that, you know, we have let slip through the cracks over the years. Um, and, and casting my mind back, I'd actually almost forgotten, but one of the more understated achievements of, I guess, Mike Phelan's reign and I guess Marco Silva as well was making that League Cup semi-final and, in fact, beating United in the second leg. And, I mean, I guess because we didn't make the final, it's it's not kind of seen in the same light as the FA Cup run under Steve Bruce. But in a lot of ways, it's almost a more remarkable achievement, not only because of the quality of squad we had that season, but... Um, clearly played uh, much much more difficult teams in a way you could say than we did in that FA Cup run. I mean, we we played I think Newcastle, who we beat on penalties, um, and a few other tough sides along the way. And then as you know, beat beat United in that second leg, and it was only really I think an offside goal in the first leg for for one matter or, or something like that. That um, or maybe it was a Pogba penalty or something like that that got them through. Yeah, absolutely. I think you. I mean, to the point that you even mentioning that made me, you know, cast my mind back and go, "Oh, that's right. We did make the the semi, yeah. and we did beat United." Um, you know, an incredible achievement. And I guess it's just a, another chapter in the in the city story that because so much happens, it's it's so it's really hard to keep up. I mean, if you compare uh, to compare the the last kind of ten year story of 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 Hull City, and you compare it to many of the the other clubs that I guess we would consider in the in the same bracket, like a Burnley or someone whilst it's interesting, you know, they have had a lot more stability and they've had a, a much more kind of ordinary story where a city seemed to do some incredible things and um, you know, it, it often gets glossed over because it's like living a, a real-life, uh, you know, soap opera or a drama series. Yeah, and look, I'll take that as a perfect opportunity to plug that we are doing an ongoing series looking back at that decade um, as a city supporter from the uh, 2010 season up to 2020. So, uh, we'll probably have another episode of that out uh, in the coming weeks, but uh, that's been a lot of fun to do as well, looking a bit more in-depth at that um, that last 10 years as a City supporter. But, yeah, look, it's been, a, it's been an exciting five years and uh, hopefully an exciting end to this season. So let's look ahead now to these, uh, these two coming games, um, starting with the MK Dons fixture, um, who we did beat 3-1 back in November. Um, look, they've, they've got two wins in their last five, so they're not exactly slouches at the moment. But uh, and I think they beat um, they beat someone four one yesterday morning. I think I'll just have a look at who that was. But um, certainly, certainly an interesting opponent to face. Um, I think they're another side that we've either not 
lost to or we've certainly got a great record against. Um, it was Rochdale that they beat 4-1 yesterday morning. So, um, look, it, it, it'll be an interesting game. Um, it, it's, I guess it's the same with a lot of these sides. Um, the question is asked of um, what you think of the game and, and how you think we'll go in it, but presumably just targeting the three points, getting back on track and, and getting amongst the goals. Yeah, strangely enough, like the, the mid-table teams or the closer to mid-table teams don't seem to concern me as much. I think that there's a real, uh, you know, energy or, or consistency with City in the way that they, you know, go against their business, uh, go about their business. Although, I mean, I say that knowing that we've had two uh, poor results against Blackpool who sit around the around the same, you know, area of the table. But ultimately, it's those sides around the bottom five or six that really concern me. And I, I, I again, look at this fixture as one that we should win and I'm confident that we'll get the points. But, you know, given the, the story of the last seven days, it's just such an unknown. And I guess now with, you know, Doncaster getting into that spot and, and that not being able to clinch three points against Lincoln, it, it makes every week really interesting. And, the uh, you know, the story itself and the, the the battle for those those top six places, you know, you would kind of expect to have taken a little bit more shape, but it just seems like a leapfrog contest week in, week out. So drop points against these lowly teams and I think we, we know our fate. Yeah, and, and it is starting to get to that point where we start to look at other results around us to see how everyone else is faring. And uh, Lincoln play Accrington Stanley at the same time and Doncaster play Sunderland. So, you know, whilst not the easiest games in the world, um, they're the sort of fixtures that we've we've got to go into our game just assuming that we need to get the three points to keep on, on pace with those sides. And, yeah, you know, we hope that Sunderland and Accrington will, will do us a favour against them. But uh, at the end of the day, we've got to do our own business. Um would you would you make any changes to that starting eleven? Would you see Wilkes coming back in perhaps if he's looked a little bit sharper against Lincoln during the week? Yeah, well, I guess it depends, you know, hugely on on what he's going on in the background for, for Malik Wilkes. I mean, what Grant McCann alluded to is is anybody's guess, but there is obviously an issue, and I think that you know, hopefully, uh, you know, sanity prevails behind closed doors, and they they do make the right decision if he's if he's ready to go, but. As you mentioned, he, he did look good when he came on against Lincoln and, uh, you know, I'd like to see him start. I guess the other thing that's worth noting is the force change with uh, the news that Richie Smallwood's out for the season. Yep. Um, and yep. so uh, I guess that that decision uh, will, will be interesting to see how, how McCann, you know, sets up the, the squad. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Malik Wilkes start and, and obviously the Smallwood change is, is going to be one. Um, I don't know if you've seen there's been a little bit of a groundswell on uh, social media that there is a very, well, some would say natural replacement for Smallwood. I don't know if he's quite the same role as Richie Smallwood, but there's a certain out of uh, out of contract or out, um, without a club player in Tom Huddleston who, um, mm. you know, with the, with the convenient timing of the, uh, the salary cap being scrapped in the last week, um, a bit of groundswell that perhaps he could come back to City. I, I, I don't quite think that would be the case, but uh, he would certainly make a difference in that midfield. He absolutely would. I, I don't know if City would have the the checkbook to uh to match yeah. Tom Huddleston's uh, expectations right. these days. But uh, what a what a sight that would be to see him back at the KCOM uh, playing League One football. That would certainly be very interesting. Um, but yes, I think a little bit of a pipe dream. Um, score prediction for this one. Uh, look, a game like this, I'm I'm just going for maybe like a scrappy one nil just to get the goal, get the three points. I'm not too fussed beyond that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it could be anything. I, you know, I will throw my cast my net into the wind. I'm going to say two one city, and um, you know, just three points, please, and and who cares how it happens? 
Now, you're saying that you're a bit more concerned about the sides down the bottom of the table and, and the side that we play midweek is perhaps the most concerning side concerning side that we uh, we face this season or at least uh, the most demons um, to be vanquished uh, when we play them um, in the form of Wigan uh, following that 8-0 loss uh, in the championship. I, I did, you know, the timing has worked out very conveniently for Mike. I did want to get Mike back on the podcast since he was on that preview of that Wigan game last season and he's convinced himself that he's an absolute jinx uh, when it comes to that fixture. Um, but uh, look, the timing worked out well that it was the uh, the five-year podcast, so we've gone for the the more classic route with, uh, with yourself, Logan. But, um, you know, it's a very different Wigan side to the one that we faced last season and, and they find themselves in a very different um, circumstance uh, which is which is really you know taking a step back. It's a really sad story for them because um, uh, you know when we played them in that game that last season, they were in terrific form and looking an outside chance at the um, playoff places, and uh, it sort of all unravelled for them with that administration. And um, I think they're still without an owner, so um, really sort of struggling to to stay afloat in League One. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess you know coming from a club like ours, we we sympathise with all of all of the clubs that do you know deal with some of the same similar issues with the with the management and poor administration and and the challenges that do come from that so you know as you mentioned a very different beast to the to the side that we played that did you know dismantle us and um you know have us cowering in the fetal position so i do understand mike's uh mike stanton recognizing himself as the omen before this week i'm uh, i'm really grateful that uh let's let's hope for a far better result this time around and you know, I, I do again expect us to win that game, but it, it's just where they sit and the what they're playing for it makes it such a precarious fixture, and um, you know, one that we've we've clearly struggled with in the past. And look, I mean, they're, they're playing Oxford on the weekend, so um, another tough tough fixture for them before before they face us. So um, really, could be um, quite low on confidence by the time they play us. I think they've. Um, They've um, yeah they've got the one win in their last five games um, for themselves so uh, not the best of form and, and look I guess it's another case of uh, you know it, it it's a reasonable two fixtures to try and get us back into a bit of form I think that, that the risk as well is that it's another two games where if it's like the burden game and we do really struggle to create anything and and struggle to get on the score sheet I think there really could be panic stations after these two games if it's a case of you know two points dropped or or five points dropped or six points dropped um, between these two games um, could be quite concerning. And, and, and you know, looking at that top five in League One at the moment, it's a really, really tight top five. And it's really on a knife's edge where if you you just have to have a blip of, of, of form um, and you could really find yourselves tumbling down the places, and which is quite remarkable because I think I saw the stat that we've been in the top two since the end of October. So um, to drop out of that top two, to potentially drop, out of the top five, knock on wood, um, would be pretty awful at this stage of the season. Absolutely. And Alex, you touched on Oxford. Is there a side that scares you more than them outside the, you know, the top six at the moment? I, just looking down the the ladder, you look at the form guide and, and how, you know, scintillating they've been. But they still have two games in hand and they're only one yeah. win outside the six now in Charlton. And uh, I feel that a side like Oxford, if they were to to scra- scrape into that uh, that fight for the for the playoff spots, which it, it absolutely looks like they'll do, I think that you know we we are talking end of season stuff now. But uh, knowing how many points are up for grabs, if if they're able to continue in half the fashion that they've been showing, they are going to be a, a very concerning prospect. And look, I mean, it, it is still it's it is still early days. I mean, it's I think we've still got nineteen games to play, so. 
it, it's virtually half a season or it's a third of the season left to play. So it's 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 you know we're not we're not down to the final ten games or final five games by any means. Um, but it's hard not to sort of look ahead and, and start to forecast a little bit. But look, I. I in in one sense, I would love to say that we'll. Uh, I'm hoping we go out and beat Wigan eight nil ourselves, just to, to to reverse that result. But at the at the same time, I'd just as happily go for a one nil result against them, just to um to get the three points again. Yeah, absolutely. And look, three points at all costs. I think that that just has to be the the message. I think this anything can happen in this league, and I know that sounds like a, a cliche, but. It seems even more so than in the championship. League One is a is such a such an interesting and topsy turvy league. Um, nothing surprises us, if you will. Absolutely. Well, the the one thing that probably doesn't surprise us is uh, the fact that we unfortunately weren't able to get Mitch to join us tonight. Um, it would have been great to to, to to share the celebrations with him, but I think unfortunately he's been um, held up with a few other things, which is a shame. But um, look, otherwise. Um, you know, big thank you for joining me for this uh, for this celebration of five years of the podcast, Logan. Hi, Alex, it's been my pleasure. And I think uh, when we we talk about unsung heroes, it, it, I wouldn't be uh, doing my duty if I didn't uh, shed light on uh, you know your commitment to the podcast after the over the last five years, uh, putting together all the run sheets and you know particularly uh, furiously researching matches and watching highlights and, you know, cutting back to be able to put together a, a good script. And I, I guess it's also worth men- mentioning in the last five years, we've had some pretty special guests on the show too. With uh, yeah. Alan Melder, you've managed to get Richie Garcia, which is, you know, uh, really special for us as as City fans from Australia to to have been able to, to touch base with those guys. So the work that you've done behind the scenes is, uh, has been a, a really great, uh, you know, positive uh, attribute for all of us uh, in Australia that, you know, that do like Talking City. And uh, it's even nicer now that we've got company at 2am when uh, we can yeah. share in the group chat the what's happening live. So it's a, a big, uh, you know, thank you to you as well. No, much appreciated. Yeah, I, I, it was remiss of me, actually. I should have mentioned um, as we were talking before about it. It has been great to to have um, Richie Garcia, Jackson Irvine and Callum Elder all, all be guests on, on the podcast yeah. at different times as well. So, um, it's been a big thank you to the club um, for 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 making um, both Jackson and and Callum available whilst they were current players, and um, Richie Garcia as well, who, who's now managing Perth Glory. So um, mm. certainly still a very um, a figure who's very much in the forefront of Australian football. So um, it was great to be able to chat to him as well. Um, and look, you know, if if the club wants to sign a few more Australian players, uh, you know, it'd be a great opportunity to to chat to them as well. Um, <clears throat> um, but yes, no. Look, it's been a great five years, and and, I, and I've got to say a big thank you as well to yourself and, and and all the other guests who who front up, you know, week in week out, and 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 make this podcast what it is, and um, make this possible. Um, it wouldn't be what it is without you guys as well. So you know, Dan, Brad, Mike, Mitch, and yourself as well uh, have all been fantastic and um, a big part of of making it what it is. So so thank you. It's a, it's a great joy to, to talk City. And as we've mentioned before, it's uh, sometimes it's therapy for us, depending on what happens on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And look, hopefully it's therapy for all of you, all of you uh, watching the podcast, listening to the podcast, wherever you get it. Um, you know, we're here for the wins. We're here for the losses. Uh, we're, we're here to talk through ev- everything City each and every week. So uh, we'll be back next week to hopefully be covering two fantastic results against uh, the Dons and Wigan to, to take us back up to whether it's first place or at least keep us in touch with first place, uh, we shall see. But until next week, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. 
For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're out.